Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Today, we're going to dive back in to our series called Choose Love. And we started this uh, last week, uh, just in this climate and this season, uh, it is so important for us to get back to some essential things. And in one moment when uh, a expert in the law approached Jesus and he asked him, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, what is life all about? What's the meaning of life? Jesus took that opportunity to say, it's all about loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Basically, we have a choice to make life about choosing love. So I unpacked that last week. I encourage you to go and watch that or listen to it if you didn't have a chance yet. We're going to pick right back up where we left off. That choosing love, and specifically right now we're zooming in on loving our neighbor is what life is all about. We're going to pick up right where we left off, Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25. Here is what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came by the place and he saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, and he pouring oil and wine. And then uh, he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to just share from your word. I thank you for how this has formed my heart this week. And I pray, Lord, that it will form uh, the hearts and minds of the people who are watching and listening. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would learn how to live in your way and to choose love. Spirit of God, be working in our minds and in our hearts to inspire us and challenge us to become more like our Savior, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. So... After hearing Jesus say, look, this is what this whole life is all about. Elsewhere, the whole law and the prophets, Jesus says, is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This expert in the law asks for clarification. Who is my neighbor? 
Now, again, I said it last week and I'll say it again. This is not a question born out of curiosity. This is not someone who is saying, Jesus, I really want to figure this thing out. I'm wrestling with this. It actually tells us that he was trying to justify himself. He was trying to make himself look good. He was trying to make himself look righteous. He was trying to show off basically how much do I know uh, and, and kind of testing Jesus in this way. And then he's doing something that lawyers, and this guy's an expert in the law, are trained to do. He's looking for a legal loophole. That's what lawyers do. We try to find, they try to find what's the loophole here. How can I obey the law and still be able to do and get away with what I want? Or how can I legally get away with doing what I want to do? Or maybe it's this way. What's the minimum that I can do to get away with this and still get this eternal life. The question that this law keeper, this, this expert in the law is asking isn't who do I get to love? Who do I get to include in my love? It's who do I have to love? Can I exclude some people? How can I shrink the limits of my love? That's the kind of question this person is asking. Now, on the surface, uh, this person, uh, as well as you and I, understand the basic concept and idea of neighbor. Neighbors are people who are near us and who, by and large, are like us. I mean, that's just the common sense idea of neighbor. They're the people, those are the people who are deserving of my time, of my attention, of my love. At least that's how most of us think. They're the people who are closest to me and they're the people who are most like me. At least that's the perspective that we often have and the perspective that this man has. See, we see it a little bit like this picture. See, there's us there in the middle, and then we have this kind of sphere of people who are like us. And those people belong in the sphere of our love. They are the people who are in. They are like us. They're close to us. And they're the ones who get our love. And then there are those who are different than us, who are outside of the sphere of that love. And those are other. They are them instead of us. They are at best just them, at worst they are our enemies because they're different, because they don't like us. We see the world in this way, and this is the worldview of this person who's asking Jesus to, uh, to clarify this question. And to be clear, to be really clear, uh, in, this, in the Israelites' mind and in the, in, the, in the Jewish faith, we were meant to think about neighbors beyond just those who were close to us. Uh, this was, should have been common knowledge. If you go all the way back to Leviticus, I believe it's in chapter 9, you'll read that this exact verse, we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. But then just a few verses later, it talks about how we're supposed to love and uses the same exact language, love the alien and the stranger among us. So in the scriptures, all the way back to the Old Testament is written in there this idea that we're supposed to love our neighbors and then we're supposed to have this expansive kind of love that includes people who may not be like us, who may not be near us, who may not think of us. However, what the, this man and many of the Jewish people before him had done is kind of tune down or turn down uh, that emphasis on loving people who aren't like us and instead turn up the volume on, on loving people who are only really like us. 
And so that practically speaking to talk about my neighbor and loving my neighbor really just meant people who are like me, people who are close to me. And I have very little love for anybody who's different. And as a matter of fact, there was the, the system of codification of those who are closest to me and then those who are farther from me. And there's different social classes that they develop and there are different categories of people who are worthy of my love and my attention and people who aren't, right? We don't like to think of ourselves doing that way, uh, thinking that way. So let's not even go there at this minute. But that is exactly how this person would have thinking. He was asking this question, how small can I keep my heart? How can I limit my love? That's the question behind who is my neighbor. He's not really concerned about his neighbor. Oftentimes we make this about who is our neighbor because that's the question he's asked. But he's really asking, who do I have to love? in order to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus does what Jesus always does. He tells a story, a parable to illustrate the point. And he says this, he says, there was a man who was going from, Jer from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's interesting, he doesn't name the man. He doesn't give us any details about the man. We don't know, was he a Jewish or we'll see in a second uh, person, a Samaritan man. We don't know, was he wealthy, was he poor? The point that Jesus is kind of has making this unnamed man is that it could be anybody. It could be me. It could be you. It could be anyone. And he's going on this treacherous path from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And this is about a 17-mile journey through some wilderness kind of mountains. It's a descent from high to low. And it was a place on the outskirts of the city where many people who were kind of the unsavory characters, bandits, it says in this, in this story. That's a funny word. We don't say the word bandit a lot today. But these were people who were rough, maybe a gang of people who were around and they weren't inside the city. They're outside of the city and they are looking there for opportunities to rob people. And that's exactly what they do to this man. They not only rob him, they beat him up and they leave him for dead. It says that he was half dead. So here's this man in the middle of basically wilderness country. And if he is there for very long, he will die. If he doesn't die from the elements, the animals around will come and take care of him and finish him off. Or maybe another person will come along and do it. But he, without help, is left for dead. And so first, we have this priest who walks by, Jesus says. And the priests in this culture in Jesus' day were kind of high society people. They were well-respected people. They would have been people of means, probably a lot of wealth, a lot of power and influence. They were kind of the, the thing that everybody aspired to and the people that everyone looked up to. They were people who were experts in the law, just like the man asking Jesus this question. They knew what the Torah, what, said, what it said. They knew what the law and the prophets should say in this situation. So everyone hearing this story, when Jesus is telling the story, you've got a crowd of people around him, his disciples around him, hearing the story would expect, aha, the hero, the hero has arrived. There, here's someone coming in to save and rescue this hurt man. But he doesn't. He walks by, not just walks by, he moves to the other side of the road and walks by and doesn't help this man. And it's interesting, Jesus doesn't give us any indication as to why he doesn't help. He doesn't tell us why. And so we've got to fill in some of those gaps. Maybe, if we assume maybe the best possible scenario, this is a priest. And priests aren't supposed to come close to blood or come close to, to dead bodies. It was actually an unclean thing. And so maybe he's not wanting to defile himself, right? 
Maybe that's a possibility. And maybe even the listeners of Jesus are, are kind of justifying his actions here and saying, oh, okay, we understand. He doesn't want to help this person uh, because he's a priest and he's not supposed to do that thing. However, it was very clear in the Old Testament and very clear in Jesus' teaching as he's been unfolding all along that the, the care and compassion for a person in need should supersede whatever cleanliness laws, whatever purity laws are there. And so the person doesn't do it. So maybe that's why he doesn't help. We don't know. Maybe he just didn't want to help. Maybe he just didn't care. And so the first hero that should be the hero isn't the hero in the story. So then we have another one Jesus says. There's a Levite who passes by. Now, Levites weren't the same as priests, but they were part of that priestly class. People of power, people of influence, people who knew right from wrong, people who knew uh, knew God's word, knew those Hebrew scriptures, and should have absolutely known what to do in this scenario. And so again, we're kind of set up for, okay, here's a hero. He's going to help this person in need. And once again, the Levite doesn't offer any help, just like the priest. He passes by. And again, no reason why this person didn't help is, is given. And so then another person is, comes up in the story. A lot of times Jesus' parables, things come in threes. And so here's another person coming along. And the people listening to Jesus might have expected, okay, now here's going to be the hero of the story. Finally, we get there. Someone is going to help this man. And they were probably thinking, okay, who is the person who's going to help? Maybe he's just an everyday person like you and me, just a faithful Israelite, a person who is covenant faithfulness, who follows the law. Maybe it's not a priestly person. Maybe it's just a faithful Jewish man, a faithful Israelite. But instead, Jesus says, it's a Samaritan who shows up and helps the man. A person who, this person who maybe at this point in, juncture, in, in this juncture in the story should exemplify what does it mean to be my neighbor? What does it mean to love someone? This person should have been a faithful Israelite, but instead Jesus says it's a Samaritan who comes. And if you were sitting there and Jesus said these words that a Samaritan came by, uh, imagine yourself in kind of like um, some of those medieval settings where you're, there's like a, a play that someone's acting out and the villain in the story walks in and everyone kind of gasps ah, or hisses. That would have been kind of the feeling that would have been invoked here. When Jesus said the word Samaritan, it would have, uh, it would have triggered all of everyone's kind of negative feelings and emotions. There would have been an audible kind of like, wait, what is going to happen? Happened with the Samaritan. And the Samaritan steps in and he is the one who helps this man. He not only helps him, he goes to extravagant lengths to help the person. He goes above and beyond. He, uh, he takes care of the person. He bandages him, puts him on his donkey. He takes him and, and, and makes sure he's well taken care of, not just in the immediate, but for the future. We're going to unpack a little bit of that in the weeks to come. But, but for now, he has this extravagant, over-the-top way of caring for this person. The Jewish heroes who should have helped the person in need don't do it. But this man, this evil Samaritan does. And, the, and Samaritans were disliked um, just for a little bit of background because um, there was longstanding animosity between these two groups of people. So uh, going back centuries before, uh, there was a group of people who were left in the land after the Jews were de deported from the land. And then when they also came back and settled the land, and this group of people who lived outside of Jerusalem intermarried with people, with other people who were pagans who were not part of the Jewish faith. 
And there was just tension and animosity. And so this group of people, the Samaritans, set up their own temple, their own place of worship outside of Jerusalem. And so the Jews who came back and settled the land in Jerusalem saw those Samaritans as setting up a counterfeit, defiled religion. And there was hatred and animosity towards them. And so this was like a long-standing kind of thing. So it's unthinkable that a hero in this story would have been this evil, in their eyes, Samaritan person. And regardless in the story, regardless of the person in need, how this, this man who was beat up, who was left for dead, regardless of whatever his religious background, his ethnic background, whatever social class he was a part of, it didn't matter to the Samaritan who steps in and serves and helps this man and shows this man love, who chooses love. And so Jesus turns around after the story, is, turns it back to this man and then asks, who is the neighbor in this story? Who acted like a neighbor? And obviously, this expert in the law knows it was the Samaritan man. And he can't even bring himself to say it. it was the one who showed mercy. He knows right away that there's something in this story for him. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's unthinkable for someone to tell a Jewish man at this time, go and be like a Samaritan. But Jesus is saying something really clear. You should choose love and choose to love your neighbor just in this way. We all have probably heard this story before. You probably grew up, if you grew up in church at all, you knew this story from Sunday school. You've probably heard it talked about in good and popular culture. As a matter of fact, the term Good Samaritan is, is almost like so well known that everybody knows what we mean, even if we don't know the background, even if we don't really know what a Samaritan is. Uh, but it, it all comes from this story, and it's so familiar to us that um, I think we all agree in principle this is a really good thing. Yeah. Loving your neighbor in this kind of way, loving people who are different from us, loving people who we wouldn't expect, and that's a really good thing. Oh man, that's a great story. Like who doesn't agree with that idea in principle? Sure, love everyone. Love people who are different than you, but the practice of actually doing this is very different than just believing in the principle of this story. Actually showing love and doing love, actually um, being the kind of people who choose love in practical ways like this story illustrates is very different than just believing in the principle. It kind of reminds me of when I was in college, uh, I was dating a, a girl and she was really into old like classic movies, like either black and white movies or, or like um, uh, musicals. And, and, and I felt like I should like those things. I should value those things. I wanted to be a cultured guy who was really into those kind of classic films. And also I really wanted to impress this girl. And so when she asked me, do you like those kinds of movies? I was like, yeah, I like those kinds of movies. They're great. Until we actually started watching some, and I was like, I actually really don't like these movies at all. I don't know why. There's nothing wrong with them. It just didn't connect with me, but I thought I should value 
those movies and I thought it would impress her if I did but in my heart I didn't so after watching two or three and realizing that this was going to be the rest of my life as watching these old classic movies with this person I was so shallow I was like no way is this relationship gonna work I I, I thought I valued something but in reality I really didn't when push came to shove it's a silly story but it, it shows us that sometimes we think that we value things that we don't actually value when we have to put them into practice we say we value certain things, but practicing what we value is very different. So we say we value loving people who are different than us, acting, loving our neighbor who is different than us, but putting it into practice is very different because there are lots of um, valid reasons, we think, for not loving people, for not actually acting in this way. You know, maybe there is a group of people who have really hurt us or maybe individuals that represent a group of people who really hurt us. And we just have animosity towards that group of people. Maybe, um, maybe there's just a group of people who we really strongly disagree with. I just, I have a real problem with people who act or think this way. And, and, and we don't like the idea that we don't love those people, but the reality is it makes it very difficult to love those people. Maybe there's uh, sinful practices that people have that make it really difficult for us to see past the sin, to see the person, uh, you know, kind of the, we, we hate the sin so much that we end up hating the sinner, right? I mean, that's sometimes what happens for us. We don't like to think about that, but that's the truth is that for all different kinds of reasons, we find it difficult to love people. And if we're really hard pressed, I think that most of us would probably say, well, I may not like that person, but I love that person. And by that, we often mean I don't have hateful thoughts towards that person or I've never done anything hateful towards that person. But the question is, is that really loving someone? And I would suggest to you that not hating someone is not the same as loving someone. Not hating someone is not the same as loving someone. The priest and the Levite, maybe they didn't hate this man who had been beat up and left for dead. We have no idea, but they probably didn't have hate in their heart. Maybe they did. The point of Jesus' story is that when the opportunity presented itself to show love and be a neighbor, they didn't do it. And instead, this one man demonstrates what it looks like to actually love their neighbor. These people, even though they didn't hate him, didn't show him love because they were indifferent to his pain. So we've got to dig a little deeper than just thinking, well, I don't say hateful things or maybe I don't feel hate in my heart. We actually have to, to search our thoughts, our words, and our actions to discover whether or not we love our neighbor. In this story, love is expressed through action. It's so clear that the reason this, this person is the neighbor to this person is because they showed compassion, they showed, they showed pity. The Samaritan loved this person through his actions. He didn't just walk by and go, man, I really hope someone helps this guy. He showed what it looks like to love his neighbor in this instance. So love is expressed in actions, but love is also expressed in our words. The opposite is true. Uh, like un we can also have words that are unloving. So for example, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that uh, if we say uh, to our brother that they are a fool, our brother or sister, they are a fool, that we are actually in danger of the fires of hell. That's like harsh language from Jesus, right? 
that to say to someone that they're a fool, to, to speak to someone in a disparaging way, to tear someone down is, is on par with actually doing evil, hateful things. It's almost, Jesus is saying, and make this connection here. If you read the Sermon on the, on the Mount, it's almost this connection to murder that we would receive judgment for. That is harsh. So the words that we have can, um, can be used to either show love or, or to be unloving. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. He says that the, the power of life and death is in the tongue. That we can, by our words, either build people up or tear people down. That we have a choice of what we do with, with our words. And our words can be unloving. And then Jesus, like he often does, takes it down to the level of our heart and our mind, our thoughts, so that he says, look, if you harbor anger, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter five, if you harbor anger in your heart towards your brother and sister, that person is subject to judgment as well. So it's not just about, I don't say hateful things. It's like, do I have hateful thoughts in my heart? If I do, if I have that in my heart, then I am being unloving to my neighbor. And so we have to think about what does it look like to love my neighbor in my thoughts. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that that's actually, and this, the scriptures I think would, would bear this out, that actually our, our actions actually be often begin with our thought life. So, uh, a person who has loving thoughts towards someone is probably going to have loving words that they will issue. And then that will probably spill out into loving actions. But if I have hateful thoughts towards a person or unloving thoughts, maybe I don't hate them, but they're just not loving. I'm likely not going to have loving words and I'm likely not going to have loving actions. And so all of this begins even with the stuff that's going on inside of us not just what goes on outside of us. So it's not enough for us just to say, well, I don't do hateful things. I don't say hateful things. I don't actually hate. We have to actually go back and think, am I loving my neighbor internally in my heart and in my mind? So let's get really practical for a second. Maybe you and I wouldn't walk by a person in explicit need like this. Some of us might. Uh, maybe. But most of us wouldn't. If you saw, if you came upon the scenario and you saw someone in need, maybe we would help. And it probably wouldn't even matter if this person was different than us. We probably would still be willing to help a person in need like that. But if we think about our internal dialogue or even what we say out, out loud, I think we actually do a little bit more examination. We find that we're not quite as loving as we should be. Maybe you have said or thought something kind of like this in the last few months. I can't believe that so-and-so is so stupid as to vote for that idiot. What an absolute moron. I know those are harsh words, but my guess is that you have thought it or said it about someone on either side that thinks differently than you. Or how about this? I just can't stand those people who go around wearing masks like a bunch of sheep. How idiotic can you be? Or maybe, maybe this. Those people who are going around not wearing masks, how stupid and irresponsible. They just don't care or love about anyone other than themselves. Maybe those are the kinds of thoughts that we've got. Or maybe this, I can't stand those dumb conspiracy theorists. How can they be so gullible? Or I can't stand those evil communists who want to do such and such, right? 
I mean, guys, these are extreme examples, but this is the world that we live in. And these are the kinds of things that we think and the kinds of things that come out of our mouth. We could go on and on and maybe they don't have to be quite so big. Maybe they're a lot more subtle. They're not about people who are vastly different than us on the other side of an aisle. Maybe they're about the people that we live with, our own family, our own friends, the people we're closest to. I could keep going on like this, but chances are you've heard something like this. You've thought something like this. You've said something like this. Now, to be really clear, I'm not saying that we can't talk about our disagreements with people. Uh, we don't all have to think the same and be the same, or we don't, uh, we don't all have to have the same opinion on all kinds of things. But what we cannot do is have unloving words and actions or thoughts towards people who are different than us, even if they're bad people. Again, in this story, the person receives help from the least likely person, regardless of why he was there, regardless of the kind of person he was. It doesn't matter. The person needed love and needed help. And we had a neighbor who extended help and loved their neighbor. We can't allow ourselves to think in unloving ways, talk in unloving ways, act in unloving ways towards anyone because the thing that we're meant and called to do is to love our neighbor as ourselves and to do so, to, 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 to kind of think in these ways and act in these ways and talk in these ways is to participate in the systems of the world rather than the way of Jesus. It's to operate in the way of the world rather than op operate in the way of Jesus. Those of us who are followers of Jesus have been called and are committed to a higher standard where we value people differently and think about people different. So what's the alternative? The alternative is to see people differently. So in 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in chapter 5, how because we have been changed, because of what Christ has done for us, because we have been reconciled to God, we no longer see people, any human being, through the same lens. Paul says, we used to regard people in this way, but because now we are part of the new creation, we can no longer think about people in the same way we used to. Instead, we see them as the possibility of a new human being in Jesus. We see people as image bearers of God. That each and every person that we come in contact with is created by God and has a destiny that God formed for them. They're full, whether we can see it or not, of gifts and talents. They're broken and bruised by all of the society and all of their own sin, just like you and I. But none of that changes the fact that they're image bearers of God, just like you and I are deserving of love. They're dearly loved. Every person that we come in contact with is dearly loved and cherished by God and valued by God. Paul says elsewhere that, that we actually, uh, that some of the distinctions that would have divided us no longer matter anymore. So there's no longer slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. He doesn't mean that, that those, those categories are completely gone. He's saying those categories no longer exclude us from being a part of the family of God. We don't think about people in those categories anymore. Instead, we see every human being and every individual as equal in the eyes of God and worthy of his love, worthy to be a part of the family of God. That to us sounds normal, but it was not normal in Jesus' day. It wasn't normal in Paul's day, just a few years after Jesus, to think about people in that way was a radical, radical idea. 
And I think we believe it in theory, but in practice, it's way more radical. It's difficult to love people who and see people who are different than me, especially people who I view as, as being wrong or being sinful or whatever it is, as dearly loved children of God. But this has massive implications for us. So, I mean, just to be silly for a second, because just because I'm a Bears fan doesn't mean I get to not love Green Bay fans, as awful as I think that they are. Sorry, guys. I'm a dog person. I still have to love cat people. Right, I and mean, we could go down the list. I I prefer Thai food over Chinese food. I mean, you could go down the list, right? And there are all different kinds of things that I prefer this over that, and none of those silly things matter anymore. And then we get down to actual serious stuff, and that's where it becomes more challenging. I no longer get to regard anyone of a different ethnic background or a different religious background as somehow different from me and undeserving of my love or undeserving of God's love. Any person is as much valued as I am in God's eyes. And, is, and I have a responsibility to choose love. And it means that I cannot in thought or word or action treat any person in any way other than a precious child of God. That they're worthy of my love and I'm worthy of theirs. It means that we go from that picture that I had in the beginning where we have a small group of like-minded people inside of that heart instead of, and we need to move into this picture where instead of I've got this small group of people that fit inside of my heart, we've got to have an expansive kind of love where I see everyone as my neighbor and everyone is included in my love. That my sphere instead of shrinking needs to expand, that the pool of my neighbors actually grows rather than shrinks. That everyone I come into contact is within the sphere of my love. Now, fortunately and unfortunately, followers of Jesus have been both the best of this and the worst at this. We are responsible for some of the greatest advances of loving people who are different than us and including people who are different than us and treating people like our neighbors. And we've been in the forefront of some of the worst examples of that. And you can go through history and you can kind of think through through those things. Uh, I, I won't rehearse that right now. But what we should have been doing all along is, like Jesus said, we should have shown the world that we are his disciples by our love. We should have been influencing the way that people think about our God by the way that they think about us. Showing people, gosh, I will lay my life down for somebody who is not like me. I will serve and, and work towards uh, restoration and wholeness in the lives of other people. It doesn't mean we have to turn a blind eye to sin. We don't have to do those kinds of things. We can love people exactly where they are, just like Jesus does for you and I. I'm so thankful that God treated me while I was an enemy of his, like a son, welcoming me back home. And if God feels that way about me, and I know he feels that way about you, that even while we were in darkness, even while we were in sin, even though while we were strangers or aliens from him, he was welcoming us back into the family of God, we certainly can do the same for people that we see and people we know, our neighbors that we need to choose to love. 
I think we've got to take Jesus seriously at this. And when we are at our best, we do this. And actually, uh, there are many historians who say when Christians have done this, when they have been the ones to care for people, to lay their lives down and sacrificially serve, it has been the times of expansive, explosive growth in the church. If you look at different movements in history, that is who, when we are at our best, that is exactly what we would do. And it's easy to think about that on a macro level. So I think we've got to think about it a little bit more of on a micro level for what does this look like for you and I? What if we took an entirely different route than what we're used to thinking, than what the world says, which is to exclude people who are not like you, treat people differently who are not like you, and instead to think about every person as our neighbor and show them the love of Jesus, that we just show them what our God is like, what if we actually did that? Well, it would mean that the people who are closest to us, maybe who are still different, it means that maybe we would meet their needs. It means, it, it means that we could actually be a part of helping people with difficult circumstances, just like in this story. We could come alongside people who are hurting and help bring healing and wholeness to their lives, which is a part of what God has called us to do. It means, like I said, that we would bear witness to the world of what our God is like, that he loves us, that he gave himself freely for us. We could actually show people this is what our God is like. Don't you want to know him? Don't you want to love him? Don't you want to give your life over to him? We could be that witness if we actually did this practically. Actually, I think that we would learn more about who God is and more about who we are in serving other people. I've discovered so much in serving, uh, coming alongside people who are different than me, thought different than me. And it's not always easy. It's, it's often messy, but I feel like, man, God has taught me so much uh, through those circumstances. I think we would learn more about God. And then Jesus says, look, the way that we experience the good life, the eternal life here and the what's to come is that we actually step into love. We choose loving God and loving our neighbor. And actually, I think that we would experience a fullness of life if we stepped into this. And as a matter of fact, every person I know who, have, who has adopted a posture of I will love my neighbors the way that Jesus loved my neighbors, those people have experienced a fullness of life that I know is radically different than those people who choose to shrink the sphere of their love and their influence. I think we would experience, God knows there's something for us in this, not just for other people. And I'm not just talking about kind of scratching an itch to, to serve and just making ourselves feel good when we serve other people. I'm talking about genuinely experiencing the presence of God in our lives. Actually, Jesus told his disciples that when they would go and make disciples, that he would go with them, that his presence would be with them always. And I think that as we go and serve our neighbors and love our neighbors who are different than us, I believe his presence will go with us. I believe a lot of the things that we're worried about and concerned about, God will take care of rather than sitting at home in the safety uh, of kind of not investing in people and staying free from relationships and messy situations. Actually, God's going to take care of us if we step into this stuff. We need to, to take those things into consideration and we need to avoid being the, like this law keeper, this expert in the law, looking for legal loopholes for who do we love and not love? Who do I express my love? Who do I help or serve? Uh, who do I not do that? Instead, we, sh we shouldn't be thinking about who, who, do I, who do I have to love. We should be thinking about who do I get to love? We should be thinking about how do I increase my love and my capacity for my neighbors and especially for those who are different than me. Every person in the sphere of my love because they're in the sphere of God's love.
How can I expand that to look more like that second picture rather than the first? How can my life, this is always the question, look like Jesus' life, which brings transformation through loving and caring for people, who brings transformation by, by bringing truth as well as grace in every situation. Now, this kind of message, like, this kind of message is one of those things that we can, again, say, yeah, okay, cool, we can do that. And, um, and, and we can feel like, yeah, okay, I think, I've, I, think I have that, pra- that in theory. Or maybe it feels like, gosh, this feels so hard. Loving my neighbor, loving people who are different, I just don't want to. That, that's going to be such hard work. And, and either way, either one of those kinds of extremes can actually lead us to a place of indecision and not responding to Jesus' his message to us, which is go and do likewise. What he's saying to the man is what he's saying to us. Go and do likewise. Choose loving your neighbor. And so I want us to adopt a practice this week as we kind of round out here to a close. And it's simple. It's actually really simple, but I think over the period of time, it actually will help us grow in our love for our neighbors. So here's one simple thing. This week, I want you to do this each day. And this can just be done within a matter of a minute or two. You don't have to spend a lot of time doing this. I want you to pick one person each day. It could be someone that you know or just know of. It could be someone that's close to you or it could be someone who maybe is, uh, you know, from afar. So a TV personality, politician, whoever it might be. I want you to pick one person that you know is different than you for some reason. Maybe they vote different. Maybe they think different. uh, Maybe they have different opinions about whatever it might be, but some way that they're different than you. Maybe they're a different, have different ethnic backgrounds, maybe a different religious background. Just pick one person. And I want you to take a minute and think about that person each day. And I want you to, to just celebrate something about them before God. So it might look like uh, like this. It might look like, God, I'm so thankful that you made so-and-so this way. I know that you love them. I know that you care for them. I really appreciate this aspect of who they are. You don't have to go into the things that you don't appreciate or the things that are wrong. Just take a minute and just celebrate that person before God. And if you're having a particularly hard time with that, because that happens for me, it's like, man, I'm having a hard time thinking of something to celebrate about this person to be excited about, uh, then I want you to ask this question. I want you to say, God, would you help me see the person the way that you see them? Help me see the person the way that you see them and just see what comes to mind. Does anything come to mind? Does maybe a way that you value this person in a way that you, you didn't have before? So take that minute, try to celebrate something about them. If you can't think of anything, ask God to help you with that. Secondly, I want you to ask this, just these two, just these two things. I want you to ask that, that God would bless them and show them his love. Bless them and show them his love. So God, would you just take care of this person today and bless them and take care of all of their needs and would you show them how much you love them today? Show them how much you love them. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter whether they know God or don't know God. I want you to just pray this prayer, simple prayer of blessing and asking God to, to, to know them. And if that's all you do, that's great. Because if we pick one person each day to do that with, we're going to grow an understanding of how God sees people who are different than us. And we're going to grow in our thought life, which means we're going to grow in our words, which means we're going to grow in our actions. And that last piece, growing in our actions. If while you're praying this week, 
you feel like God's asking you to do anything. So maybe this is someone that you know. Maybe it's a neighbor who's got a political sign in their front yard that you don't particularly like. Maybe it's a person on Facebook that you were in an argument with about something. It doesn't matter. Maybe you feel like God moves you to action and to actually show that person God's love by just blessing them in some way. If that's the case, I encourage you to do that this week. So, so first, just ask God for, for uh, to just celebrate that person. Uh, secondly, uh, I want you to ask God to bless and love that person. And if you feel like there's anything that you need to do in action, then take that action this week. Let's grow in our love for one another. Let's grow in our love for our neighbors who are different than us. Let's choose love in this season and let our love for one another be sincere as the scriptures talk about it. Let the world know that these people who say they love Jesus really love the world the way that God loved the world. And they're willing to give their lives in micro ways and macro ways to, so that they would know the love of God. Let's be that kind of people together. God bless you. I'll see you next week. We hope that you were encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.